Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, 2 Samuel chapter 10 tonight. We've been, uh, we've been in our series going through, uh, going through conquest and defeat, and of course, uh, the whole series based upon really the life of David. Uh, if you were to go, we know that David was once, uh, he was once uh, named king. Of course, Samuel anointed him as king, but uh, about 17 years would, uh, would progress before he would actually become king. And of course, we know Second Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel hits, David is king not only over Judah, the southern kingdom, but over Israel, the northern. And of course, as uh, all of that takes place in the first three chapters of, of the book of 2 Samuel, we know that David, he began to, to take some great steps for God. Remember David saying, hey, our kingdom, we're not going to run this kingdom the way that Saul ran it. We're not going to run it even the way that Samuel led, even though Samuel wasn't king just as a leader. We're going to lead it the way God wants us to lead it. And David really uh, kind of started things out well. You can go read the first nine chapters of the book of 2 Samuel, and you kind of would give David two thumbs up. Kind of say, David, man, you're doing good. David, you're doing right. Move the, move the capital to Jerusalem. Up until that point, Jerusalem was in the hand of the Jebusites. And of course, God had told them, told Israel to drive out or destroy all the enemies of the land. And that had not been done up until David began to really just conquer. Drove out the Jebusites, moved, got, moved the, the capital to Jerusalem, brought the Ark of the Covenant in, began just really declaring God will be the center of this kingdom. And, and then a few weeks ago in our last message, we, we just saw some incredible mercy and some incredible love from David. Because we watched as David reached out to the grandson of Saul. Well, who was Saul? Well, Saul was that man. Remember Saul, King Saul? He was the one who pursued David. Uh, he knew that David was one day going to be king, and because of jealousy, Saul began to pursue David, and really, uh, for at least five to seven years, Saul was, was hunting David. I mean, it was, it was uh, Israelite against Israelite, and Saul was hunting someone that he didn't need to be hunting. And, and David, he had multiple opportunities to, to take out vengeance against Saul. He had multiple opportunities to say, you know what, I'm just going to kill him, but David never did it. David always showed grace. He always showed mercy. And there were times, you can go during those years of running, there were some times that David didn't make the best choices. But when David became king, it was in his power completely to just eradicate the, life, the family of Saul completely. To say, you know what, let's just kill all of them. Let's take all of them. Saul mistreated me, let's annihilate all of them. But he doesn't. And in 2 Samuel chapter number nine, we watch as a lame grandson. He was lame on his feet, Mephibosheth. We watch as Mephibosheth, a crippled man, was brought into the king's table. And 2 Samuel chapter number nine, what a great story where Mephibosheth, he was undeserving. He didn't deserve to be put at the king's table. He didn't deserve the love that, that David gave to him. And basically what David was doing is David was adopting Mephibosheth into his family. And we looked at this message and a few weeks ago we, we titled it a spot at the king's table. And what a great picture it is of salvation. You say, well, what's salvation? Maybe some here might not know. And salvation is something that we don't deserve. We all, we all deserve hell. 
We all deserve to pay the price for our own sin. We all deserve uh, to be separated from God eternally. But, but Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. And then he died upon a cross, was buried, but three days later he rose again. And he did all, he did all of that for us. And because of Christ, because of Christ, we now can have a seat at the table. Because of Christ, we're like Mephibosheth. We don't deserve it. We, we come from a wrecked family. We come from a wrecked life. We come from a wrecked past. We come from a sin-filled past. And yet, God says, if you'll just receive me, I'll allow you to be in my family. And the Romans 8 says that when we, when we receive Christ, we're adopted into the family of God. And what an incredible, incredible story. I, I love the story of Mephibosheth, probably one of my favorite passages in all of 2 Samuel, the fact that Mephibosheth got an inheritance and we get an inheritance. Mephibosheth got adoption and we get adoption. He got a new relationship with David. We get a new relationship with God. There's just so many correlating pictures in the story of Mephibosheth. Well, tonight we're going to come back into our series and we're going to continue the study in the life of David. And we're actually, <coughs> excuse me, we're actually going to be looking at a topic that we're going to be, at, be back on in, in just a few weeks. And it's the topic of of influence. Someone once said just two simple words, influence matters. Influence matters. You know, every person has influences in their life, whether good or bad. We all have influences. We all have people and things, but mainly people that, that influence us or push us in one direction or another. No doubt you can look back over your life and you can discover some positive, some positive influences and you can probably think of some negative influences. My dad, he um, has a number of stories from growing up and one of the stories he has is, is of when he was about 12 years old. My dad was about 12 years old. He was on a, a tree limb, and uh, it was over a sidewalk. He was on a tree limb over a sidewalk with some friends, and, and there came this girl walking down the sidewalk that my dad, you know, thought was, well, she's, she's kind of cute. I, I want to impress her. And so my dad, because of his own thinking and because of the influence of some friends, my dad decided that he was going to do a backflip off of that tree right onto the sidewalk right in front of this girl. Now, I need to tell you, though, up to that point, my dad had never done a backflip. <laughs> up to that point, he had never done a backflip off of a tree. Up to that point, he had never jumped that far off of a tree onto sidewalk below him. And so my dad, because of the influence of his own thinking and the influence of some friends, he decides, I'm going to do a backflip and impress this girl. <laughs> Well, needless to say, he woke up about four hours later in a hospital because he did a backflip, but it really wasn't a backflip. It was just kind of a face flop, and he landed on that sidewalk, and uh, man, all because of influence. You know what? All of us, we could probably look back, and now hopefully you don't have that story, uh, but we can all look back, and we can realize that there have been some negative influences in our life, but there have also been positive influences in our life. And tonight I want to look at just a couple of thoughts from 2 Samuel chapter number 10. And I want you to see just the, uh, the idea of the difference between positive influences and negative influences. We're going to learn some lessons about the influence 
that we allow into our lives. We're going to do a little bit different tonight because we're actually going to pray, and then we're just going to kind of work our way through the passage. I want to read a little bit, talk a little bit, and then bring out some thoughts right towards the end that I think will help us tonight. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a minute and, and just ask God to, uh, to speak to you. Take a minute and, and just commit to God. God, if you speak to me today, I'm, I'm listening to you, and I'll respond to you tonight. Dear Lord, I want to come before you and I thank you for the word of God and how it speaks to us. Thank you that you have truth for each one of us. And God, I pray that tonight as we go through the word of God, I pray that, you'd, that you would use it. I pray that you'd help us. I pray, Father, that you would challenge us. I pray, Lord, that as we make our way through the passage, that you would bring to light uh, truths that only you can. And God, I ask tonight that as we go through the passage that you would speak into our hearts and then that you would give us courage to respond to you as you speak to us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Second Samuel chapter number 10, let's, uh, let's jump in and look at this passage. Verse number one. And it came to pass after this, that would be after David had extended that grace to Mephibosheth, it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanan his son reigned in his stead. The king of Ammon died. I want to stop right there just very quickly. I want to uh, remind us of a few things. If you've read the Bible or the beginning of Scripture, you'll recall some of the things that took place in the, Gen in the book of Genesis. And you'll be reminded that the Moabites and the Ammonites, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they were descendants of Lot. Moabites and Ammonites, they would be descendants of Lot. Of course, the children of Israel, they would be descendants of Abraham. And so really, the Ammonites, the Moabites, they would be cousins to the people of Israel. And it's been said that in a perfect world, in a perfect world, the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Israelites and uh, all of the ites and all the eens, they would all, they'd all get along because they're all cousins. But they don't get along. As a matter of fact, at this point in 2 Samuel chapter number 10, we're gonna find that they're complete enemies of the people of God. If you were to go to, uh, to Israel, many of you know where Israel is, and just across the Jordan River and just across the Dead Sea is the Moabite, would be the, the current nation of Jordan, the current nation of Jordan. And you can go there and know that uh, where Israel is, Jordan would be where the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Edomites would have been. The Edomites, of course, the descendants of, of Esau. And so here you have the Ammonites, the next door neighbors to Israel, and the king dies. That's what verse one says, King Nahash dies. King Nahash, he was not a good man. Matter of fact, if you went all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter number 11, you would find Nahash was one that stood against Israel and Saul and the people of Jabesh-Gilead. Remember, he was the one that said, hey, we're not going to, he came over to Jabesh Gilead and said, we're not going to kill you. Instead, we're going to let you serve us and we're going to make you do it without your right eye. We're going to pluck your right eye out. And the people of Jabesh Gilead, they reach out to Saul. And of course, Saul goes and, and defeats the Ammonites, defeats uh, those uh, King Nahash. So Nahash, he was, he was not a good man. 
But at some point, at some point, Nahash did something good for David. How do we know that? Look at verse 2. After Nahash dies, then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanun and the son of Nahash as his father showed kindness unto me. David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father and David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. David is going to do kindness for Hanun because of Nahash, Hanun's father. We, we again, we don't know what that was, but David did not want to leave a, a kindness undone. And so what does he do? He, he reaches out to the son of the man that had been kind to him. There's uh, one of the best ways that we can, you could show someone kindness is by showing kindness to their kids and their family and their grandkids. And, and David knew that. And so what does he do? He sends a, a group of ambassadors. Verse 2 tells us these group of ambassadors are going to come. And David sends them for the purpose of comforting Hanun of comforting this man and really kind of, I mean, if you've ever lost a loved one, this is, this is a thoughtful act. Well, why is this a thoughtful act? Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I've walked with many people through the loss of a loved one and I, our family has, has dealt with the loss of loved ones, many folks dying. And you know what? When, when you go through those times, you just don't want to have to think about everything. Now, I know nowadays a little bit different than then, but you know, let's, just kind of, let's just kind of make it a re reality for us. Nowadays, when someone passes away, I mean, I mean, you're thinking about everything. You're thinking about all of their belongings. You're thinking about uh, maybe insurance. You're thinking about uh, different bills and things that need to be canceled and credit cards that need to be canceled. And you're thinking about bank accounts. And, and you begin going down the line of uh, thinking about even notifying people and planning the service and making sure there's a burial plot. I mean, think about everything that you think about when someone dies. And so here's David, in the Bible times, I mean, they no doubt would not think of all of those things. I mean, you're not canceling credit cards back then, but they might not think about all the things, but there's a lot to think about. And so here's David having compassion on someone who had done kindness to him on his son. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to send people to just be a comfort to him. I'm going to send people to just, to just help him through this time. We pick up the story in verse 3. And the princes, don't miss verse 3, and the princes of the children of Ammon, they said unto Hanan, <clears throat> their Lord, thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? Wherefore, Hanan took David's servants and shaved off the one half of their beards and cut off their garment in the middle, even unto their buttocks, and sent them away. Yes, we just read that in church. What is it saying happened? Well, <clears throat> verse number three, the king, King Hanun, his friends, they're a they're, they're accusative. They're suspicious. They say to David, hey, uh, hey, or they, excuse me, they say to Hanan, hey, Hanan, um, David didn't do this for kindness. 
Thinkest thou that he sent people to be comforters during your dad's death? No, 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 no. He did this because he's spying out the land. They were accusative. They were, they were really saying to Hanan, hey, king, you, you need to really do something about this. You need to do something because if you don't, they're going to overthrow the city and you're going to look pretty foolish. So what does Hanan do? He takes the ambassadors. He shaves off half of their beards. Now, honestly, nowadays, I mean, Robert's got a beard back there and others have a beard in here. If we were to to shave off half of Robert's beard, which I I was half tempted to do for this, but I'm just kidding, Rob. I literally just now thought of that. That would have been a great illustration. Brian, do you have any clippers at the house? Go get them real quick. I'm just kidding. If we were to shave off half of Robert's beard or another beard in here, uh, other than maybe being a little upset, Probably just, they just go home and shave the rest off and then grow it back. But in this day, in this time, when you shaved off a half of a beard, the beard represented the, the honor of a man. And the beard was something, it was a, a symbol of respect. And, to, to show, and so to shave off half of a beard was to show someone great disrespect. As a matter of fact, in this particular time, it was one of the worst ways to shame somebody. There was nothing more embarrassing than, than walking around and having your face half shaved. It was, a, it was something of, of ridicule. And then more than that, they, they literally cut off half of their clothes so you could see their backside. All you could really liken that to is the fact that there's nothing more embarrassing than walking around in a hospital gown. When you're up at the hospital, if you've ever been at the hospital and someone comes to see you, if you have to get up and move, just move like this, walking away. That's, that's, what, that's what Hanun did. Why did he do this? Now, we, we can read this, and it's humorous. We can read it and laugh at, at the wording. We can read it and laugh of what's being said and what was done. But he was doing it because he was, it was completely shaming them for no reason. He had no right to. He had no reason to. There was no uh, provocation in this. There was nothing that David had done. But instead, he wanted to embarrass them completely. If, if people saw them coming, they would see half of a beard, and that was an embarrassment. If people saw them going, they would see their backside, and that was an embarrassment. Well, word gets to David. Notice verse 5. When they told it unto David, so word gets to him, he, he sent to meet them, the, the ambassadors, the guys that he sent to be comforters, because they were greatly ashamed. And David, the king, he said, tarry at at Jericho until your beards be grown and then return. You know what David does? He says, hey, guys, stop at Jericho. It would have been one of the first cities that they crossed uh, right as they come over the Jordan. I've been there uh, right in the area of Jericho. And you can can see Jordan or the, the river Jordan, and you can see the land of Jordan. So you could see the land of the Ammonites and where they had just come from. And they get to Jericho and David sends word, hey, stay there. Stay in Jericho till your beards are grown back. You know what he's doing with this? He's having, he's having sympathy for them. And, and not just sympathy, he's having empathy for them. He understands, I see your shame. I, I hurt with you. I don't want you to come back 
and to walk through that land, to make that journey all the way here to Jerusalem and everybody to see that shame. I, I don't want you to have to go through that. He wasn't going to, one of my friends put it this way, he wasn't going to commercialize the shame of the men. I liked that phrase because David could have used, think about this, he could have used their shame for his prophet as a king. Well, how so? Well, he could have paraded them around and said, look at what the Ammonites did and riled everybody up and got everybody, we're all gonna be on the same page and, and kind of pointed out and used, that, used it for his agenda, promote that agenda of, of attacking. But David doesn't, doesn't do that. He has empathy for them. He sends them to, to Jericho where they stay. And notice verse six. When the children of Ammon... When they saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Bethrahab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Maaka, a thousand men, and of Ishtab, 12,000 men. So verse six, the, the Ammonites, Hanan, they, they look that they stank before David. They were odious before David. They were loathsome. They, they were despised before David. Verse number six is Hanan's uh-oh. That's what verse number six is. That's Hanan's uh-oh. What, what, what do you mean? He realizes, I messed up. He realizes, uh-oh, we really offended David. But I want you to think about something, and I'll come back to it in just a minute. I think right here, Hanan could have saved himself from a lot of hurt that we're going to see had he just sent a peace treaty to David. Hey, I, hey I realize, he realized he messed up, but his own pride, his own pride kept this going. So what does he do? He hires soldiers from other armies. He makes affinity with other nations. Well, verse 7, David hears of it. And he sent Joab, his general, and all the host of the mighty men. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rahab and Ishtab and Maacah, they were by themselves in the field. Now when Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he, Joab, said, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God and the Lord do that which seemeth Good, seemeth him good. And Joab drew nigh and the people that were with him unto the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. David gets word. Joab says, uh-oh. Or excuse me, not Joab. Hanan says, uh-oh, and sends for word, uh, sends for uh, other people to come and fight with them. And David finds that out and sends his armies 
He doesn't wait for uh, the children of Ammon to come into his land. He sends armies into their land. And David goes on the offensive and the battle is set, array, set in array. It just means they prepare for battle. They line up and they, they go to war. And we find that Joab, he realizes during that war that they're gonna be surrounded. Instead of quitting, he splits his forces in half and gives half to Abishai, his brother, to fight the Ammonites. And, and then he and the other half will fight the Syrians. And he says to Abishai, if, if you need help, I'll help you. If I need help, you help me. And in verse 13, we find that a small battle is won. We, don't, we won't take the time to do it, but just mention this, that from verse 14 to verse number 19, the Ammonites and the Syrians, they, they go back and they strengthen their armies. They call on more alliances, allegiances, and they come out against David, just a full force. But verse number 19 says this, and when all the kings that were, the ser- that were servants to Hadar Ezer, if that's how you pronounce it, we'll just go with it, and saw that they were smitten before Israel. They made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. There's a great victory that takes place for David and for the people of Israel, and all of it was avoidable. Now, the great victory was good for David, but not good for the Ammonites. Lives, resources, energy, all of it for naught. And though David comes out with a great victory, I believe this, this evening that we can, we can learn a lot from this passage, and specifically tonight, we can learn a lot about the people that we build around us. I want to give you a few thoughts tonight about why we should be aware of the people we build around us, why we should be aware of the influences that we allow into our lives. I want you to notice, first of all, tonight that we should be aware of the influences that we allow into our lives because wrong influences bring unnecessary battles. Wrong influences bring unnecessary battles. You know what Hanan did was he listened to the counsel of those listed in verse number three known as the princes of the children of Hanan or of Ammon. He just listened to wrong counsel. Wrong influences bring unnecessary battles. Why? Well, because they offer unwise counsel. They offer unwise counsel. And you and I, we would be wise tonight to remember to not surround ourselves with unwise counsel. Hanun's demise begins because he gave ear to unwise counsel in his life. Why, why did Hanun end up in war? Why did they end up losing most of their men? I mean, think about this, and we don't have time really to go through it, but if you read verse 14 through verse number 19, they lose a lot of men, and then they lose all of their peace treaties. They lose all of the people that are around them that would come to fight for them and with them. They lose the relationship. Verse 19, the Syrians, they were afraid to fight with Ammon ever again, all because of bad counsel. We all know the verse that in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. But here's what the first part of that verse says. For by wise counsel, thou shalt make thy war. By wise counsel, thou shalt make thy war. And in a multitude of counselors, 
there is safety. I want to say tonight that wrong influences bring unnecessary battles because they offer wise counsel. And if you and I allow people to be influences in our life that are the wrong influences, they're they're not of God. They're wrong influences. They're negative. They're, they're wrong influences. They're, they're critical, what we'll see in a second. You know what? Soon in our life, it can cause unnecessary battles. I see they offer unwise counsel. I see, secondly, that they claim to know motives. Wrong influences, they claim to know motives. Whenever you surround yourself with people that claim to know what other people are thinking and what other people's motives are, the Bible calls that evil surmisings. Now, where is this in the passage? Well, verse number three, the princes say to, to Hanan, hey, we know why he came. Hey, hey, don't, don't pretend, David, don't pretend that, or Hanan, don't pretend that David sent these guys for peace. No, 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 they came for war. We, we know David's motives. You know, <clears throat> I think often that we all can be guilty of assigning motive to people. Well, I know why they did that. Well, I know why they said that. Can I say that unwise counsel often assigns motives? Unwise counsel says, well, I know their heart. And those wrong influences, they claim to, to know motives I want to encourage you tonight, don't get in the habit of assigning false motives to people. It's so easy to look at people and say, well, I know why they did what they did, and I, I know it all. I'm, I can read people. I'm pretty good at this. No wrong influences, they claim to know motives. I see a few thoughts tonight about wrong influences. Wrong influences, they bring unnecessary battles. Why? Because they offer unwise counsel, because they claim to know motives, but also because they simply put others down. Wrong influences, they will continually degrade others. Hanun's influences in this passage, they caused him to be guilty of completely disrespecting people who didn't deserve it, didn't have it coming, so to speak. No, I mean, if you look at it, there's no, there, there's no reason that Hanun should have shaved half of their beards and shaved half of, they can cut out half of their clothes. No, the entire reason he did that was to shame them. And there's no value in degrading and in shaming people. And I'll say this tonight, that as Christians, our influences matter because they often direct how we treat people. And if we allow wrong influences to be our main influence, then we too will, will just begin uh, degrading others and putting others down. And, and you've been around those people, and I have too. Maybe you had them when you were friends and a teenager or a kid, and I had them when I was friends, that they were there uh, just to always take other people down a notch. They're just that person that always, always has the, the, the degrading sarcasm. Now, I can be a very sarcastic person, and I can be a, a big jokester, and I know that. You know what? Growing up, one thing my parents uh, and my, even I had some good friends that tried to help me with was, Dennis, have fun and be sarcastic with humor, but don't hurt people. Don't hurt people. And you know, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, careful sometimes we can find ourselves in unnecessary battles because, because of putting others down. 
Oh, I'm, I'm not talking about going to war. I'm talking about family issues, friend issues, church issues. Those things arise when we allow wrong influence to cause us to put others down. It was wisely stated years ago, people don't always remember what you say or what you do, but they will always remember how you made them feel. I like that. People, they don't always remember what you say, what you said, or what you did, but people will always remember how you made them feel. And Hanan, because of influences, he made people feel small and shamed. And I would encourage you tonight, don't surround yourself with people who are consist, consistently causing division, who are critical. People who are critical, they actually reveal more about themselves than they do those that they're being critical of. Critical people, they, they always just have the negative to say. You know what, if you look in your life and you find that some of your biggest influences are consistently negative, maybe you should step out of that, that circle and find some better influences. Because bad influence, wrong influence, they can put others down. And what's the last thought about this, about these wrong influences? They stir pride. Remember a moment ago, I brought out the, fa the fact in verse number six, Hanan's uh-oh, Hanan could have said, hey, David, I'm sorry. It was a misunderstanding. I listened to some bad advice. David, here's a peace treaty. But instead, Hanan reaches out and, and goes to war. Why? Because of his pride. Man, that's the only, that's the only uh, scenario right here that would make sense is because of his own pride. Man, I realize that I did something stupid, but I am not confessing. I'm not saying it. No, no, no. I'm not admitting I did something stupid. Hey, we will come out on top. My people will not look at me as a fool. We will come out on top. And his bad influences gave him bad advice and it caused him to be filled with pride having to be right in this situation. I see tonight that Hanun, he was taken into an unnecessary battle because of bad influences. Wrong influences, they bring unnecessary battles. Notice very quickly and secondly with me tonight, correct influences, they bring support when needed. Hey, the right influences, they help build you up. I don't have the time to really go through the entire passage like we did just a moment ago, but just a few thoughts about positive influence. I see positive influence in Joab. What did Joab do? Well, positive influence, they're going to sacrifice to support you. They're going to sacrifice to support when someone's in need. Joab, he was willing to do a lot of extra work to be able to, to provide support to his men. He realizes the war starts. He realizes they're surrounded. He realizes the Ammonites are on one side. The Syrians are on the other side. We are completely surrounded. And what does Joab do? Well, instead of tucking tail and running, no, Joab says, hey, we can, we can do something with this. Let me, let me encourage you, man. Verse number 12 is a great encouragement to them. Hey, uh, when he says, play the part of men. Verse number 12, be of good courage and let us play the men for our people. Hey, listen, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. We can keep doing this. And then what does he do? He sacrifices for their support. Hey, I'm going to give half of my men. I'm going to give half of my men to go fight that war. Hey, Abishai, I'm going to, I'm going to help support you. Correct influences. They sacrifice to support. Notice also, also they're continuously there. I noticed this again in Joab, instead of running when he could, he shows courage and he shows faith and he knew 
he knew we can win this. And Joab was there for his men to encourage them. He was there for David throughout this entire passage to encourage David and to take action for David. Notice third, right, right influences, correct influences. They know that they need support too. When we build people around us, I'll tie all of this together in just a second, but when we build people around us, if it's good influence, they're gonna realize I can't do this on my own either. Notice verse number 11. David has divided up the men. Abishai has half, or excuse me, Joab has divided up the men. Abishai has half and Joab has half. And Joab says, hey, if, if it gets too hard for me, I'm gonna lean on you, Abishai. And if it gets too hard for you, you can lean on me. You know what Joab's spirit was? Hey, we're here to support each other. Hey, we are in this together. This might be too much for me. You know, correct influences, they're willing to admit at times that this might be too much for me. I need some support. I'm willing to encourage, but I also recognize I need encouragement. As I was Studying for this past, studying for this message, I couldn't help but think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 11 when it says this, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. Of course, Paul, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, they're writing to them, hey, listen, find comfort and encouragement in the fellowship that is the church. And I look at this and I see Joab as a positive influence in the lives of those around him. Why? Because he was willing to sacrifice to be able to encourage. He was, he was continually, continuously there. He, he was one that knew that he also needed support. I look at this tonight and I see that wrong influences, they bring unnecessary battles. Correct influences, they bring support when it's needed. Thirdly, godly influences, they will always point us to the Lord. Godly influences will always point us to the Lord. I love verse 12. We read it just a moment ago. He says this, be of good courage. Be of good courage and, and let us play the men for our people and for our cities and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth good to him, seemeth him good. You know what godly influences do? They point us to the Lord. Well, how do they do that? Well, because they remind us who we're fighting for. You know, Joab did in this passage, he brought it back to the Lord. They're in the middle of this battle. They realize they're surrounded. He divides up the men and then he says, hey guys, be of good courage and remember, this is for God. Be of good courage. Hey, step up. Hey, play the men, play, be, be the warrior because this is for our God. You know what godly influences are gonna do? They're gonna remind you who you serve. When you build people around you who are godly people, they're gonna keep helping you just turn back to the Lord. They're gonna be the one that comes alongside you when you feel like you failed. They're gonna be the one that comes alongside you and says, hey, don't forget who it's for. They're gonna be the one that says, hey, it's okay. We can, we can keep moving forward. Why? Because this is all for God. They remind us who we're fighting for. Secondly, they, give us re they remind us of reasons to continue forward. I notice what he does in verse number 12 when he says, not only is this for God, but he says, this is for our people. This is for our people. And notice, this is for our cities. This is for our people, and this is for our cities. You know what Joab was doing? He was helping 
the people of Israel, his warriors understand that all of this, yes, it's for God, but hey, there are some people depending upon us. You know what good influences are going to do? Good influences are going to remind you that you're not the only one doing this. Hey, you've got a family. Hey, you've got people looking up to you. Hey, you've got people that need you to invest in them. Thirdly, when we look at godly influences pointing us to the Lord, they do this because they remind us of who is ultimately in control. The end of verse number 12, Joab says, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Hey, even if this doesn't work out, we know that God is in control. As I come to 2 Samuel chapter number 10, I, you see a war. We see some weird choices we see some weird things written, but I think we can learn a lot about influence. Wrong influences, they bring into our life unnecessary battles. Good influences or correct influences, they, and they bring encouragement and support when it's needed. Godly influences, they just keep pointing us to the Lord. And really the main point I want to get across tonight as we wrap up is this simple statement that our influences guide our direction. Our influences guide our direction. In these verses and the following verses in verse 14 through verse number 19, the Syrians and the Ammonites, they again, they attack David harder. David comes back with Joab and, and a great victory is won. And Hanun, he could have saved himself, as I said a moment ago, from a lot of pain. He could have saved himself from a lot of suffering. He could have saved a lot of lives. He could have protected his people, his allies, not lost alliances. But instead, all of it was gone because he didn't protect his influences. I want to say tonight and close with just this statement, our influences, they point us in the direction of defeat or the direction of victory. And I think maybe on a night like this, when we hear the phrase influence, we might associate it and think of, of that phrase that you heard when you were younger, or maybe our teenagers would think of the phrase, well, uh, peer pressure. You know, peer pressure matters. Remember growing up, everybody talking about peer pressure and, and every adult in here, every adult in here would look at a teenager or a young person and say, you need to be aware of peer pressure. Just protect yourself from wrong peer pressure. And you need, but can I say tonight that we might need to preach to ourselves in the mirror because every single one of us have peer pressure. Every single one of us have influences calling for our allegiance, calling for our attention calling for our ear. Oh, that influence that we have. I mean, I could say tonight that every one of us could have friends. We could have friends that probably friendships and relationships are our greatest influencers. Your greatest influencers are probably the people you have built around you. It's probably, they, uh, they uh, psychologists and different people who've done studies on friendships say something along the lines that, that every person has, uh, you know, one or two people that really know you thoroughly, five to seven that, that have influence in your life. 
10 that are there. And, and kind of beyond those 10, there's, there's maybe some friendships, but not a lot of influence. But the truth is tonight that influence comes from whoever we allow it to come from. And you may only have two or three or four close friends, but you also may have influence from a news channel, may have influence from a book you read, may have influence from music that you allow into your life, may have influence from shows that you watch or social media trends or people on Facebook. We, we give influence in our lives. We give influence to other people. And tonight, as I read 2 Samuel chapter number 10, do you know what I'm challenged with? Dennis, guard your influences. Guard who's influencing you. Well, why? Because wrong influences, they can cause me to be critical. Wrong influences, they can cause me to, to hurt other people. Wrong influences, they can bring in my life unnecessary and unneeded battles simply because I give them entrance. But right influences and godly influences, they're going to encourage me. They're going to support me. Godly influences, they're going to help me be pointed to God because ultimately at the end of the day, our influences point us in the direction of defeat or they point us in the direction of victory. And so I close with two questions for you tonight. Two simple questions. Number one, what kind of influences are you allowing into your life? What's, who, who are the people that are your close five, your close seven? Who are the, uh, the, the, what are the news networks that you allow to influence your opinion? What are the movies that you allow to influence your thoughts? What is the, the Facebook you know, trends that you allow to, to influence your mindset and your decisions? What kind of influences are you allowing into your life? And secondly tonight, what kind of influence are you being with your life? You see, every one of us, we need to have good influences. But as we learned this morning, we also need to be the good influence. Hey, this week, someone might need you to influence them toward God. Someone might need you to encourage them to walk with the Lord. Someone might need your support. Someone might feel like they're surrounded like Abishai did, and they might need you to be a Joab, to stop, to stop with, with what you've got going on and just pull, along, pull aside some time and be an encouragement to them. Hey, I'm here for you. Hey, if it gets too hard for you, I'm here for you. What kind of influences are we allowing? What kind of influence are we being? 2 Samuel chapter 10. It's just a war. It's just a battle, but it could have been avoided it could have been avoided and all boiled down to influence. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.